You're supposed to be a beacon on a hill to the rest of the world. Come on up here and take your place. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Hey there. And we've got Tracy. Good morning. And we've got Karen. Good morning. Oh, she's so chipper today. I am. So chipper. Uh, so I've got uh, a little update for us this week. Um, I find these little milestones fun. And maybe you and our listeners will too. We have been listened to over 1,000 times as of this morning. Oh, nice. And, huh. uh, Thanks, Mom. Yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> I mean, we're not even, you know, we haven't even recorded 40 episodes yet, and uh, we're up to 1,035 total plays. So that's pretty cool. So thanks to our listeners for listening and sharing, and, and uh, we're, getting, we're getting all over the place. I'm just looking here. Of course, most of our listeners are in the United States, but let's see. We've got some. We've got uh, United States, Ireland. We're looking at you, Ireland. Mexico, <laughs> Philippines, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Australia, South Africa, Russia, Netherlands, Japan, United Kingdom, Sri Lanka, and Germany. Good heavens. Wow. So, yeah, we're out there, guys. So uh, send us an email, folks. We'd love to hear from you on Get to know where you're from and and uh, be able to be, inter- be able to interact a little bit. It'd be fun. It's fun yeah, for us. To... We're not going to show up on your doorstep. No. <laughs> not in, well, uh, if you're in Ireland, Karen I might. I, I might show up in Ireland. Telling you. Karen's been saying that since since the first Ireland first popped up on the screen. Right. <laughs> they won't send in their address, so I can't. So far. yeah, that could be by design. <laughs> yeah, but most of our most of our listeners, of course, are here in the United States, and I saw that uh, uh, most of them are here with us in Colorado. Um, but there was uh, let me look here real quick. I think I saw. Um, what am I looking at? Oh, Washington. We've got a pretty good listening group in Washington and uh, Ohio, Texas, Virginia, Illinois, I- Iowa. So, you know, uh, it's it's all over the United States, too. So it's pretty cool. At least somebody's listened at least once, maybe. I don't know. So, yeah, right in. Let us let us hear from you. All right, well, let's get into our discussion today. We are continuing in the book of Deuteronomy this week, and we're starting with chapter 11. Now, 11 starts, it says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God, keep his chain. I'm sorry. Let me start this over. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Now, the context of this is that he is talking to, it says, they, because he took them from Egypt. Now, the question I have for us, our discussion beginning right now, does that mean that this little command given there is only for those people who have been taken out of Egypt? What do you, what do you guys say? I'd say no, because we've talked earlier when we went through Genesis and so on, we see that, well, among other reasons, is that these were enforced before the children of Israel even left. Cain right. killed Abel, and that was wrong. Well, based on based on what? 
You know, yeah. the world was judged as a flood of being evil. Well, if you have no laws, how can you say somebody broke a law and there was sin? I mean, it was so bad that the flood was a thing. God said, okay, this is, this is what has to happen. We, we have many, many examples of that that predate um, God giving the Ten Commandments. Okay, another one, I mean, we have uh, the, the Sabbath, the day of rest, shows up in creation. I mean, they haven't even hit the eighth day of, like, life on the world or the world, how you ever want to look at that. It's just, that's just part of how things started. It was there from the very, very, very beginning. And additionally, I would say, if if God says over and over and over, which, which he does, we were talking about that, like in verse 8, therefore keep the commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong. Uh, that you may go in, etc., etc., that you may live long in the land. I mean, if somebody said, hey, here's some really good advice, good financial advice, why would I look at that and say, well, that's fine for you, but I plan to go broke? It's just, why wouldn't I take advice that is for my blessing? Yeah, so it is. It's a bit of a piece of context here. It's an interesting continuation, actually, from chapter 10 for us to be able to get the context of what he's talking about. I think, I think it's far-reaching, you know, especially, too, that we've seen that this is referred back to um, even in the New Testament. Jesus refers back to Deuteronomy. So I think it, I think it's far-reaching. I think it starts in the beginning and takes us all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. You do yeah, you have Revelation talking about keeping yeah. the commandments of God. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so that's, it's a bit of a context reminder here for us that this is not just, I mean, yes, he's speaking to them. In fact, the verse, the next verse kind of shows that he is speaking specifically to them, but it's pretty obvious that that um, this can't be only for them. Because that next verse, it does say, I do not speak with your children. He's talking about, you know, right now at this very moment, I'm talking to you guys who have witnessed things, who have seen things. But the context, of course, is is everything we've read already, and understanding that this is uh, this is very, uh, very widespread. Yeah, and before we before we move on, if they ha- if our listeners maybe haven't listened to previous episodes, which I would recommend because we talk more about this, plug it. Salvation <laughs> is not part of uh, why they keep this. This isn't Correct. kept to earn their salvation. Um, this is kept to be a blessing and so that they'll be a witness. The salvation thing had to do with their sacrificial system and the priests and the altars and all of those are the things that reach their fulfillment in Christ. Yeah, in fact, you get into verses 8 and 9. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. So it's obviously about... It's about um, I don't want to say prosperity, well-being. It's about well-being at the moment, you know, in the moment. Uh, oh, yeah, verse 9, that you may prolong your days in the land. So this is about, you know, it's about health. It's about it's about uh, proper living. Like you said, it's about witness. So it's, um, yeah, it's just about, it's about life. I've got notes here for verses 10, starting in verse 10, talking about how the land they're going to is fertile and it's easier to live in than Egypt. Uh, something here. Oh, and it shall be if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
then I will give you the rain for your land in its season. So their prosperity in this place is going to depend upon their um, their obedience to God. Their uh, we talked to in a recent maybe it was last week's episode about holding fast to God. Yeah, this and, shows up in verse twenty two again. Oh, good, thank you. And and if you if you want to do well in this land, then you're going to have to do your part by by sticking to the things that God has said and done and told you. And um, then is God, God's going to help you to, to uh, live well. Serving other gods is going to anger God. This is starting in chapter 16. And of course, it's not the first time we've heard about this. Verse, you mean? Yes, verse 16. Thank you. You know what, though? I have a question. Okay. You know, and I was reading this and I was thinking to myself that when they were looking and when they were in Egypt, when it first started with Joseph... Goshen was given to them, and Goshen was like a, a fertile delta, which which they really prospered there. Their herds multiplied and everything else. And, and by saying this, too, I think when they became more servant in servitude and, you know, slavery and that kind of thing, you know, that was hard. But, you know, refresh my memory, maybe I just forgot about it. But did they ever have trouble with food? I never remember them saying that, you know what, they were starved you know, while they were slaves in Egypt. So I'm just assuming that Goshen was still fertile and able to make food while part of them were probably working, you know, um, let's just say making cities and, and that kind of thing and pyramids and what have you. There was still an element of them that was back in the fertile ground making all this food for all these people. And by God saying that, you know, listen, where you're going, it's you're still going to have to work but it's going to be better than Egypt. Mm-hmm. And Egypt was known for those those Nile deltas that, you know, the rich, the dark soil was rich in nutrients and it was easy and fertile and food was plentiful. That's saying a lot. Yeah, I thought the same thing when I was reading through that. Like, you know, they get out into the middle of nowhere and they're like, oh, why did we leave Egypt? We used to have this and we used to have that. And this is so just hard right and then and now here they are looking forward and he's saying yeah it's going to be even better but he's also saying keep your eyes on me right i am the source of everything i am the source of you possessing this land i am the source of you coming out of egypt i am the source of your rescue and your deliverance here your training in the meantime and i will intervene to keep your eyes on me at least that's kind of what I got out of it with him saying, you know, if you if you if you don't, if you don't follow my laws, I'll withhold rain and your land won't produce. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a talk about a, a graphic way, take take away all that prosperity for them to remember that it's not actually coming from them. Right. And it is uh, a bit of fore, foreshadowing, too, because if you read ahead far enough, you find out that things didn't continue to go well for for Israel forever, mm-hmm. and it was because yeah. they were starting to drop away. They were falling away from from their the ways they they were supposed to follow. And they got it so backwards that when that happens, King Ahab runs across you know the guy who he believes is the only follower of God at that time, the prophet of God who prophesied uh, the um, the uh, drought. I think I believe it's Elijah, mm-hmm. um, and Ahab says. Is it you, the troubler of Israel? <laughs> now, Ahab was the one who led 
Israel into apostasy. And the guy who shows up on behalf of God and says, do the right thing, is the one who is labeled the guy making trouble. It's mm. kind of like we do that today. We don't like the weather that's coming. We don't like the forecast. So we're like, yeah, it's easy. We'll just shoot the weatherman. <laughs> we'll get rid of the weather that's supposed to come. And they did it in Israel. We do it today. Um, and the, these, these are the things, and we get into it a little bit later in 26, the blessings and cursings. Um, yeah, I mean, it was told. They were told, like, look, this is, I'm putting it right in front of you right now. Yeah, okay, so it goes. It gets into talking about, uh, how did it put it? Serve, how serve, serving other, other gods is going to uh, ang anger, anger the God, verses 16 and 17, talk about this. And, uh, and of course, you know, when you're talking about people who have literally been led from slavery, they've been, it's a, it's a group of people that have been raised up over the last 400 and plus years. Now you get into verse 18 and we've, this is actually a little bit of a, almost a repeat of something we were talking about. I think it was last week of, of um, Keeping yeah. these commands, keeping these statutes, let's see, how does it bind them on a sign on your hand and as a frontlet between your eyes? Uh, teach them to their children, speaking them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there's a lot of imagery here that we're, we're familiar with. I mean, the doorpost is a, is a look back to Passover, that Passover idea of the lamb's blood over the, the doorpost. And then the others have, is, it's sort of a foreshadowing too. looking forward to, I mean, we're looking at a time now when people are, are, are concerned about receiving a mark on their hand or on their forehead. And, and this is a reminder to, to us modern day that everybody's going to get a mark. Everybody will have some kind of a mark. And which mark are you going to get? You're going to get the mark of God or are you going to get the mark of Antichrist? And, uh, it's very, very clear the mark of God is following his commandments, his statutes, his his ways. Yeah, but I would say, too, is that it would seem super obvious. Like, well, duh, I wouldn't choose the bad way. Mm, yeah. But that's why Satan's called the deceiver. I mean, he didn't show up with Eve and say, hey, Eve, why don't you take a bite of this? It'll ruin all the good things you know. And mm -hmm. soon you'll be dead and you'll lose your first point. It'll just go, go so bad. Why don't you try to bite? He didn't give it that sales pitch. It's like this actually will be better than what God has told you. Yeah. And just go ahead and give it a try. You'll see. It'll be great. You, you'll be in the driver's seat. And Satan's been doing that ever since. And I don't think he's changed up things. Jesus says later in... That you know, people will put you in prison, they will persecute you, and they will feel that they are serving God. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. this this inversion, and we get to this a little bit later. There's some foreshadowing too of this inversion. Um, is the idea that you're doing the right thing, you're just not doing what God said, you know? And and we can modify what God said, and 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 that's going to be okay. Is that this deception? won't appear to be a deception if you're not really looking for it. That's why Jesus says, hey, this will deceive even the elect. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if that were possible. And he, and he gives, he gives, you know, parables of the sleeping, the sleeping uh, virgins at the wedding feast and so on like this. So that it's, my point is to say, it's easy to say, well, duh, that would be obvious. Why would nobody would actually pick it the other way? And yet we fast forward when we get into judges and kings and stuff like this, you've got essentially the whole nation moving forward, worshiping these gods that we're reading about right now, where Moses is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. They do it. And just like when they danced around the golden calf, remember, if you haven't re- listened to that episode, they called it a festival to the Lord. They didn't yeah. call it a festival to, you know, false yeah. gods. Yeah. Yeah, and then the contrast also is following God's way is not always the easy way. In fact, it's probably rarely the easy way. You know, it's easier. It can be easy to follow, follow the crowd. You know, yeah. follow the follow the norms, follow the the, uh, the the customs. You know, but actually following God. I'm remembering this story from the Dark Ages and, you know, from our from our modern perspective, we look back at the Dark Ages and, you know, burning Christians at the stake and getting them to recant and the torture. You know, we look at that now just in absolute horror, like, and I'm remembering one particular incident that I read about where the king, the king himself actually walked through the, the streets, the city streets he knew that there was an order going out that night that was going to result in thousands of people's death. And as a God-fearing Christian himself, he made this public display of walking through the streets and whipping his own back to show how distraught he was and how hard he had tried to get, to get these heretics to come to God. Like, that's how strongly he believed he was doing God's will. And, and he did this slow procession all the way through the city streets in plain clothes and bleeding and with this big public demonstration. Then he went back to the palace and the guards went out and all hell broke loose. Mm. So like that, I mean, it's easy to see in history. It's less easy to see in front of us. And yep. it's less easy to see when it's subtle instead of people being burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah, and I think that one of the ways to fight against that, that... That deception, the, the the to stay to stay on the right path, you know, is again. It's interesting. Every time the commandment stuff shows up, is it's love. You know, um, verse twenty-two: For if you be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, and holding fast to Him. We talked about holding fast in uh, last week's episode a lot more. Uh, the summary to that, and it shows up again if you want to look it up. It shows up in Deuteronomy ten twenty, and also again in thirteen four, mm-hmm. um, as well as here. That is an intimacy that is at the same level as in Genesis two when Adam holds fast to Eve. God wants us to really, really, really be in close, close, close connection with Him. And I think that's how we avoid uh, mistaking, uh, I guess, our piety, like in Karen's story, with idolatry. Yes. And I think we piety get- is a great word for that because it's it's like it's my point of view that becomes so strong and I feel so justified that I can't even look around and see anything else anymore. Mm. 
we get towards the end of the chapter, get into verse 26. It says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey, the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Are we talking about an active blessing and curse? What I mean by that, if you obey, does that mean as God that God is going to do extra special stuff for you, intervening, whatnot, to make sure that things go fantastic for you? And if you don't obey, does that mean that God is going to actively work against you and try to see your downfall? What do you think on that? In the immediate situation where he's talking to the Israelites, it's active intervention because he's talking about the Lord your God will put the fear and terror of you into the whole land wherever you go. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's describing his active intervention. I'll drive them out in phases so that wild animals don't overtake the land. I'll use hornets on these people and plagues on those people, right? So like, He's, he is in the immediate situation. He has over the last few chapters described active intervention for them that goes with the blessing. But that's the direct result of a promise yeah. made to their ancestors. So if you want to stretch that forward, it depends how big of a promise you're talking about and how big of an intervention. Are you talking about small interventions like you won't get sick? You won't struggle with sin. You won't, your relationships won't have problems. You know what I mean? Like, are you talking about that kind of blessing or are you talking about there's a plan of salvation? I'm going to come get you. I made a house that's got your name on it and you should see this thing. You can't even imagine this thing and I'm going to come back and get you. Hold tight. Right? Like how mm-hmm. big of a promise are you talking about? That's a good question, Matt. And I, I think like a lot of things in the Bible, there are layers to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I think absolutely there's an active element in this. I don't know that he sets out against them per se. But we see it later. God says, hey, I'm going to stir up these people from afar and come through and basically spank you. Um, and that, that implies, uh, yeah, an active role. Now, also, we need to keep in mind that everything that God allowed was written down in the Old Testament as God caused everything. We got a flashback to Job to see that happening again. People are like, oh, God did this. And we know behind the scenes, no, quite clearly Satan did. Um, but we also see that when God withdraws his protecting hand and blessing hand, it's almost like, well, is that an active against you or a passive like well you want to go it on your own you can in some i guess when it gets to the motivations and character of god maybe that's a super important uh thing but when it comes to our end it's the same like it's it's the same trouble hits us um and so did he did he actively bless them and withhold absolutely when we move into um the conquest of canaan and and we end up with uh, spoiler alert their attack on uh, AI, and um, and uh, I think it was either after AI, I can't remember where Aiken steals things. And oh, that's God's, Jericho, yeah. Okay, Jericho, yeah, yeah, right. And then they went to they Aiken stole it from Jericho. Then they went to AI, and then they lost. And they're like, "Whoa, what's what happened?" And they like, "Why? What? God says I didn't bless you because you didn't obey." 
Mm-hmm. Um, but to that, to your question, which I think is a super good one, Matt, kind of goes back to the opening question is like, is this only for Israelites or, or is it for us too? I think there's an inherent blessing if we do the things that God said, look, this is how things work. If you obey and if you stay inside these, these boundaries, they're for your own good. You know, just don't go where it's bad for you and it will go and you will be blessed. I, I, mm-hmm. I, a flashback comes to me. We were visiting, we were in Hawaii and we were at a place where the ocean had one of these things called a blowhole where the big wave would come and it would push water up through a hole in the lava and it would splash upwards in a little water spout. Well, there were kind of some low cliffs, you know, 30 feet or so down to the ocean all around us. And my son at the time, five years old, I suppose, wanted to go right up to the edge of the cliff. I mean, he wanted to look straight down into the 15 well, sure. waves. Yeah, right? <laughs> he wanted to be right there. And we're like, no, you can't do that. You're not allowed to. And he starts stomping his feet and sticking out his lower lip as a five-year-old can. And he was just, we have a family picture of him and his sister standing there. She's smiling. They're away from the edge. And he's just pouting. And his hands are in his pockets. And it's, it is hilarious to remember that is why he was so grumpy is because he wanted to be right on the edge of the cliff where if he'd fallen in, I couldn't rescue him, you know, and that's us. That's us. We're like, what do you mean? I can't fill in the blank with sin. We want to do that would be our destruction. And God is like, guys, don't seriously, don't go there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, there can be, like you said, lots of layers to this concept. Sometimes God might be actively working for or against. A lot of times it's just a matter of consequence. Uh, if you obey, it's because, and if it, you know, if you get a blessing from obeying, it's because that's the, that's a natural consequence of obeying. And if you get a curse from disobeying, that's because it's a natural, it's a natural consequence of not following these guidelines. Let's see. Uh, as we get into chapter 12, they're reminded again, uh, that they are to destroy all traces of the false religions of the area. It brings to mind, you guys have probably seen the bumper stickers that say coexist, and they're written out yeah. with the symbols of, of different religions throughout the world. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, there would not be any coexist bumper stickers on, on the carts and wagons of the Israelites. Let's just say that. <laughs> and... Um, the, you know, we need to we need to not be ashamed or afraid to contradict. I actually saw one once that did say contradict, and it was done similarly. That because because all these other religions they don't they don't complement each other. You can maybe glean a few things here and there from certain religions, but when you look at them at a, as a whole and try to make them into a compliment for Christianity, for following uh, God, for following Jesus, it's very, it's very contradictory, uh, pretty much in every, in every situation. And, I mean, you think, I mean, in my perspective, too, looking at a lot of the other, other gods that are out there that people worship, I frankly can't even see logic in some of them. Some, you know, some of them, there's such a pantheon, so many gods in one religion, Let's take Hinduism, for example. So many gods that I don't know how they would ever make sense of them. In fact, I was talking to a Hindu guy one time, and um, I was actually working on a uh, uh, 
I was wiring a Taco Bell for this guy, which was interesting because they serve uh, beef in Taco Bell. But um, <laughs> and these Hindus, you know, they're they're. Uh, I don't exactly understand how it works out, but cows are sacred to them. But as long as they weren't eating them, I guess it was okay. But um, but he had a picture of his god, and so I was just, you know, who's this? And and um, all he could really tell me is, well, that's my god. And that was as far as he would go, you know. And I, I sort of got the impression, is like, I wonder if he even knows. Of course, we can t- say the same thing about a lot of Christians, too. But... Um, and, you know, I mean, they look at it as many aspects of the same God. But I, here in the Bible, it's very clear, and God has made it abundantly clear. He is the only one, period, full stop, don't pass go. And so we sh- I, I take this, we should not be afraid of offending somebody's sensibilities for the sake of their religion. And that's not necessarily to say go out and actively uh, actively berate them, you know. But don't back we shouldn't be we shouldn't back down at all from our from our faith in God. Uh, we shouldn't back down at all from promoting our faith in God. And um, we shouldn't at all be be afraid of saying this is the only God that there is and this is the God that we should be following and worshiping if we really expect to have a decent life, if we expect to have any kind of a continuation of life, this is it. That's it, period. Yeah, I think there's a difference, too, between me saying, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it, and I, I'll i share it with you, and me showing up and going, y'all are stupid, you're wrong, you're so, how could you possibly do that? You're, you're, mm. there's, there's a, I think we need to be super careful and follow the Holy Spirit, especially when we start engaging uh, people who don't believe the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't mean we need to be apologetic to the point of like, you know what? I mean, you do your thing and it's totally cool because in the end, sure, it doesn't really matter. We're reading right here over and over. It does matter. To say, this is what I believe. And I'm really sorry if that upsets you that I believe this, but... This is, this is in fact what I believe. And it, and by the fact that I believe this, it goes counter to what everybody else says. And I think this is the thing that we need to struggle with a little bit more than we do sometimes in evangelical Christian circles is, does that mean now a new crusades that I, you know, Mm. we go to go back to Karen's story. Because they believed, hey, this is what God's telling me to do, and now we need to go actively purge everyone who doesn't believe like I do. I think that's a that's a that's a real continuum from the coexist, everybody's right, and all the way back to all right, now we're gonna you know strap on your gun belts, we're gonna go make everybody believers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it goes back to what we were saying before: is that you have to do it with with love. And I think sometimes the best way to state what you believe is how you carry yourself day to day. Because I think sometimes the best witness is is a, your life in general. And I think that garners a lot of respect from just those around you that it's not that you're just spouting off what you believe in sometimes a hostile fashion towards others. It's how you carry yourself day to day where there's those other people that almost vouch for your character that says, you know, I know this person and this is how they live day to day and that they do 
love their neighbors as they love themselves and they do love and follow God. And you know what? I don't think they would do that. I don't think they would have that approach to other people or treat other people like that. And I think that's something that we've mentioned over and over during our podcast is that, you know, that's what's in question right now is, are we doing some of the things we're doing in love? Yeah. And I think that's lost today. Very much so. There's, there's a text in the New Testament that I think of more and more often as the world <clears throat> progresses or whatever it's doing, lurching forward into the future. And that is, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And mm -hmm. boy, if we can't look around and see that. And the law, so the, the idea that the law and love are connected is... We tend to think of, especially when we're talking about the Old Testament, we tend to think of the law coming first. Like, I brought you out of Egypt, and now we stop at, at Mount Sinai, and here's the Ten Commandments. Do these things, right? Do these things, and you'll be blessed. But And, and somewhere in there, and I think even today, just because of our natural short-sightedness, we lose fact, sight of the fact that this is supposed to be motivated by love. If you love me, keep my commandments. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. Yes. And then look at the, you know, we'll, you're, by, by your fruits, you will know them, right? And then because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. So when left to our own devices, sinful human nature and, and we see it in the Israelites, like it sounds hard. All of these things that God is saying to them sound hard. Obey me and I will do this. Don't obey me and then this is going to happen instead. Like that's, those sound like sort of blood-curdling threats. Like really? You want to tell me you love me, but you're just going to let this happen and let this happen and let this happen. But look at the results of that. Right. Because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Like human nature on, on this planet is not to be trusted with its own direction. <laughs> I think that's why God is so firm here. And it's interesting through chapter 12, there's kind of this thread that says, don't, don't do it the way of the, the people where I'm taking you. Uh, do it the way that I do it. Do do the do your worship where I ask you to, and the way I ask you to. And in in, in uh, thirteen, is say take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place you choose. Basically, ah, you know what? We'll just pick it up and set it and do what we want to. And here's the problem with that. We go back to chapter twelve, verse four. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. What God's concerned about here, and what He knows is inevitable is that they will say they're worshiping God, but do it in the manner of the pagans around them. He says it, he says it again, you know, over and over, don't do it in that way. Uh, he says it in verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, why is that so bad? It goes on, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire for their gods. And we see the Israelites do this later. You know, they're they're saying, and this is the, I'll beat this drum every every time. They're saying we're worshiping God. We're doing this for God, and then they do all of the pagan things, and just call it worshiping God. And I, I don't think that that habit of practice stopped 
back in the Old Testament. No. No, because yeah, so- I think you get caught up in the world that's going on around you. And mm-hmm. I, I go back to that, or not go back, but in moving us forward, when Israel's just, for the lack of a better term, really hell-bent on having a king. And the prophets keep telling them, that's not the way God wanted you to go. But everybody else around us is doing it. We want a king. You know, and it's, I think that's how we just, you tend to break because that bond that you have with God, because of what's going on around, around you in the world and what everybody else is doing. You think that's the approach you need to take and it's only going to end with calamity. It's not going to help you. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, that's the choice that people make is to do what the world is doing. And that's their folly. Well, 12 sort of shifts gears a little bit. And it had some, it, it raised some questions to me about, um, tithing. Now, I think we're familiar with the object, with the concept of tithing, and then as it's been talked about here in the Old Testament too, um, their, their, some of their first fruits, some of their firstborn, well, not some of, but the firstborn animals, these kind of things would be dedicated to God. But it talks about eating the tithes specifically, and what I was getting out of the context of the of the writing here was that. Well, I had I had been under the impression that tithes and offerings, like if it didn't get burnt, it became the Levites. But yeah, I was getting the impression from what we were reading this week, and not just here in twelve. I think it gets more specific into it later. Yeah, towards the end of uh, fourteen as well. <clears throat> but that you would eat your own tithe. Did you get Did you get that? Am I am I reading that wrong? Am I reading something into it that's not there? I, mean, I don't know. Like, I think you're referring to verse 17. You may not eat it. He's talking about bringing your things. You may not eat the, the blood of it. Let's see, where does it go? In 17, you may not eat it in your towns. The tithe of your grain or of your wine or of your oil or the firstborn of the herd of your flock or any of your vow offerings that you vow or your freewill offerings or the contribution that you will present. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God. So he's kind of taking all the offerings that they would do, all the tithes, all the free will offerings, all the vows, all the all those things together, and saying, "Hey, you can you can eat some of these things," and then it ends with, "Take care that you do not neglect the Levite." Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Matt. I mean, were they eating the tithe, or was this talking about eating some of their vow offerings or their free will contributions? I don't know. Yeah, I I noticed that same thing and did not come up with an answer that I was content with. Right. Yeah, because it sort of seemed to me like, okay, you dedicate this, you take it to the sanctuary, uh, you offer it up, and whatever is going to happen to it there happens to it there. But the stuff that's left over, you know, it seemed to me like you still get you still get a piece of it. But I don't know. Remember though that they could offer it, and then the Levites would get certain parts. Yes. I was just going to say it was parts. parts and is the parts. families get other parts. It's right. A- yeah. So I just I just thought that was interesting, you know. Yeah. Because I, I, I had had this concept in my head that when you took something to God, like that was – it was gone from you. You had nothing to do with it anymore after that. But yeah. that doesn't, yeah. doesn't seem to be the case. And I just found that interesting. So it goes on talks about not following ways of false gods once they've been destroyed. Um, it's abomination. And again, verse 32, do not 
don't add or take away from what God has commanded. That is so important to remember. We've talked about that in past episodes as well. Chapter 13 begins with punishment of apostates. Begins starts right out. Don't follow a prophet of another God. And this is important, even if their predictions come true. If you have in your mind an idea that only only God is able to make a prediction that comes true, uh, you might want to rethink that because it seems pretty clear, at least to me right here, that there is a good possibility of uh, of a of a false prophet coming to you with a prediction that could come true, which obviously is going to be very deceptive to you uh, and and. It could entice someone to think that, well, if that, you know, if they, if they're making statements that later come true, then there must be validity uh, to them. And God is warning them right now. What was that? If I was the devil, I'd be all over that. Oh, sure. Creating my own truth as I go. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, that's that's you make a super good point here, Matt. Is that our assumption is that the devil's going to show up with a pitchfork? And horns, and we'll be like, oh, I can spot that. Yep. And right. they're being warned right here, and I'll read it literally if you're not looking it up. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve him, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord, your God, is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Mm -hmm. And so this shows up again. I've got a few um, verses uh, listeners can look up later on your own. I won't read them. But Isaiah 8, 19 and 20 talks about this, about evaluating prophets. 1 John 4, 1 and 2. Matthew 7, 15 to 16. And there's an interesting story of a prophet who receives the word of God, but then adds to it. And basically he lies to someone else and it results in the death. That story is in 1 Kings 13, 18. And so this idea that anyone who shows up saying, hey, I'm speaking for God. Well, they could never tell the lie. It, that is not the case. Is that people show up, Satan, I mean, in the New Testament, the Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's a really clear warning right here in 13. Yeah. So we have to. It, it, yeah, it's a warning. Keep your eyes open. Watch. Watch to see. If someone is trying to lead you away, try to see if or if they're or if they're pointing you to God. The one God. And yeah. the way God said, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Nothing contrary to that. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the, the problem, I think, though, is that, at least nowadays, I think, I think back in the Israelite culture, people didn't have a copy of their own Pentateuch, right? There weren't a bunch of Pentateuch scrolls lying about. The Pentateuch hadn't even been written yet. Hey, look, it's being recorded, you know, while we're... Well, the Israelites are going through this. It gets written down by by Moses. They didn't have that. Like now nowadays, we're 
we're expected to know this stuff ourselves. You know, back then they had oral traditions. They had like the storytelling and they had the whatever. Nowadays, like the Bible's big, it's complex to read. And if you don't have a body of other believers to get together and discuss it with and to sort of iron out the wrinkles in your thinking and be critical of yourselves and don't trust your own thoughts, but really kind of test things and make sure that they, that they start proceed and end in a consistent fashion that that stands true under the spotlight of God, right? If you don't do all of that, and then some kind of deceit comes at you, you you won't see that. How will you see it? That's like, that's like sending a three-year-old into the city streets and expecting them to be safe. It's not real. Like, that's not possible. You, you're not even, you're not even equipped with the knowledge or even the savvy that you need to keep your guard up or even know what you're looking for. So, man, looking at the end of the, you know, looking forward to the end of the world, which kind of feels like this year, honestly, I look around and I think to myself, like, how many people are blindly following what they think is truth? And then if the devil comes along or a prophet comes along and says something that's 95% true, how, how would they even know? That stuff gets mm-hmm. hard. Well, I yeah. think that's why we study. That's why we visit together. That's why we learn. That's why we have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to to guide us. I mean, think of let's just just I guess let's go ahead and take that detour for just just a second and think of uh, Saul persecuting the church in the New Testament. He mm-hmm. thinks he's doing the will of God, and he's 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 putting people in jail. He's he oversees the stoning of Stephen. He studied. Now, here's the thing we kind of forget sometimes. He has studied this Old Testament. He knew Deuteronomy and Exodus, and he knew the Psalms and Prophets, and he knew Isaiah and all these things, okay? But he misapplied them. Satan had deceived him. And then the Holy Spirit revealed, Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus and said, hey, Saul, you actually have this wrong. And Saul's like, wait, what? And over the next few days, the Holy Spirit teaches him, and he refers to this later in in the New Testament, is how he was an apostle as one abnormally born, is how he puts this. He didn't walk with Jesus personally. He didn't get it. He thought he was doing God's work. And then the Holy Spirit said, hey, let me show you some things. And he had this aha, like, oh my goodness, I totally didn't get it. Which is to say, if you're listening and you have an aha moment, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you say, wait a minute, there's a totally different way to put this picture together and get it different like a puzzle, I could, these parts didn't fit together before, but now they do. And I see something totally different. That's possible. And God blesses that. And he leads you to these epiphanies to where you can say, wow, I did not see that before. And the Holy Spirit can do that. I think Karen's right too. The more you read, the more you study, the more you can ask other people, but you're going to get people's different opinions. Hey, what about this? And somebody may say, oh, no, 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 that doesn't, I mean, that's maybe what it looks like it says in the Bible, and that may be what it says, but that's not what it means. you got to ask the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Because people will get it wrong. Sometimes sometimes we do. I do. I have. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, and this is so important for them at the time, and keep in mind now we're talking specifically them and not us at the time. So important at the time is they're establishing themselves as a nation. Yes. That anybody 
who tried to lead them away was to be put to death. And we're not talking lethal injection. We're not talking, um, you know, help them to fall, fall asleep and not wake up. We're talking throw rocks at them until they're dead. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know if have any of you have ever been hit in the head with a rock. I got hit in the head with a rock once as a kid, and it was not a pleasant experience. Um, it, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And, um, you know, any, getting hit with any blunt object hurts and over and over. I mean, what, what I'm getting at is this is like kill them with prejudice if they try to draw you away from God and God's ways. <clears throat> now, we're not we're not called to do that now. Jesus, when Jesus came, he clearly made made uh, made it or made it clear to his followers that we're looking at things a different way now. And and, um, you know, now we're just just avoid these people. But uh, at the time, at the time, it was it was uh, get them out of get them, get them out of here, get them <clears> out of <throat> here in the most permanent way possible and and make it clear to everybody around that you're not going to put up with this at all, because you, uh, this is about your their well-being. Go ahead, Karen. You just hit the dilemma on the head, though, as like the question that you opened with. It's like. We read this stuff, and what of this applies to the Israelites, and what of this applies to us, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you take these kill, kill, kill people, you know, kill the infidel. <laughs> yeah, we we see that playing out through history, and sure. it's and that that gets very very tricky of people who want to protect what they believe is right and stand firm and not compromise it, and. There are times in history where they have drawn a line of blood in the sand and we will not cross this. And then there are other times in history where people are called to be more lenient and give it to God, give the situation to God, let God handle it. And so it's like, mm, you know, that that right there, these these two things where we started and where we are now completely encapsulate the dilemma and some of the nastiness that we've seen play out in history that's so blood curdlingly awful is like, do we only take the good parts? Do we only take the promises? Do we take some of the, the parts that are really, really kind of gritty as well? Like what if that applies to the Israelites in that immediate situation? And what if that applies to all of humanity, all of God's church through all of time? Mm -hmm. Matt's got a point that, that, that how this comes down, and this isn't to contradict your point, Karen, because I agree with you. This is for us to figure out, is that at this point, they still every night have this towering you know, thing yeah. of fire and yeah. of the cloud and God speaks and Moses hears it and there's thunder and lightning and there's and God is is at this point establishing a nation to say this is these are going to, you're going to be my people and this is how you are going to do it. It's really specific. Now, the idea that we would follow these guidelines to, to Matt's question earlier shows up again and again. The commandments like, well, so what about that part? Jesus says it over and over. Read the book of John and see if you can come out the other end of John believing that Jesus is somehow saying, you know, the whole commandment thing pretty much is done and gone. Don't worry about that. You won't do that if you read the book of John. But I think, just to put this out there, I believe that we are to take God's call for us every bit as seriously as did the Israelites. And to Matt's point, it's pretty serious. The way we interface that with other people I think is different today than it was then but not with ourselves I mean Jesus says hey if there's a sin 
that's going to cause you to lose out on eternity and your hand is making you do it, you need to just go ahead. It's better to lose your hand. Oh, you have an eye that's leading you to sin? Better get rid of that eye. And I don't believe he means literally sticking a fork in your eye. I don't think that's his purpose. What he's trying to say is take this that seriously. Take it that seriously. It's a big deal Mm -hmm. with yourself. You need to do this yourself. And at this point, Jesus, God is saying, hey, you need to make sure your land is pure. You know, I look at it too that, you know, it's, it's building something foundationally. So he had them out there and he had to take a hard line against this stuff. Cora, same thing. Um, you know what? It has to be paid with, with, with your life. It was that serious. I'm building a foundation. I need to let you know that I'm serious. When, um, same thing, when the uh, harlot was brought into the camp and it was, okay, what are we going to do about it? And somebody took a hard line and killed a person for that. And, or speaking out against the Lord that when we had covered that, a, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, nothing was set in the rules for that. So it's like, you know what? We have to go to the Lord and find out, you know, if you blaspheme directly against God, what's going to be the what's going to be the uh, punishment? And it was a hard line. He took a hard line. And I think the same thing is asked of us that if you're building your foundation on God, you need to take a hard line. And if they're and if it's causing you to to, to break that bond, then you need to get rid of it. Yeah. There's one place where Paul says something like, um, it's in, I can't remember which book it's, it's like those, those four little books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's in there somewhere. And he says something, he's talking to one of those churches and he said, and he tells them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's, that's, a, I mean, this is serious stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it's serious stuff. It was serious stuff. And it's serious stuff now. And uh, we need to be prepared to cut things out of our life if they are drawing us away from God. Yep. Deuteronomy 14 has some inter- kind of interesting stuff here. It talks about improper mourning. It talks about, uh, this is pretty specific. Do not shave or don't cut yourself or shave the front of your head for the dead. Now, you know, I don't know exactly. I've never wanted to cut myself or shave my head because somebody died. Uh, this is probably a cultural thing at the time. People in the area maybe did this sort of thing. It the, the, was. The, I looked it up. Yeah? Yeah. But what the, I think what I kind of got out of this, though, was that you just don't need to put too much emphasis on mourning the dead. I guess there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one, you're still here. You're still moving forward. But also... In, in the Judeo-Christian mindset, or at least the Christian mindset, you know, we'll learn at some point that it seems like not everybody agreed, but we believe in a resurrection. We believe that uh, when somebody dies, it's not necessarily the end for them. I've had people ask me before, uh, you know, a good friend dies, and how are you handling this so well? I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see them again, or at least I have a chance of seeing them again. And I, I kind of get that here, where it's like, don't. I mean, uh, it's okay to be sad when somebody passes and you're going to miss them, but just don't put too much into that because that's not, it's, it's not, it's not the be all end all end of things necessarily. You know, do you guys agree? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think too, that what can happen 
there's, there's all kinds of things that, where this can go wrong. And I think God, sometimes, instead of telling us all the ways it could go wrong, he said, just don't do it. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you just get too caught up and they can take you down the wrong path. Yeah. yeah. Thorough yeah. distraction from what actually you should be focusing and putting your energy into. And that's yeah, an so interesting thing is that over and over here in the Old Testament, God just says that, okay, the dead, they're, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Don't try to talk to them. Don't try to visit with them. And then to point out Matt here, don't don't mourn with them, you know, shaving this baldness on your head. Don't, um, Paul makes this really interesting thing in the New Testament about the dead. He basically, there's over and over, like, don't go there. Just, period, don't, period, go there, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God says, you know, why would you seek advice from the dead when you have a living God? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and he just kind of says, you don't get to see what's behind that curtain. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It is hard for us to detach. We can't see behind the curtain. You know, poor Job. He gets to all the way to the end of the book of Job and never once knows he's an inter- intergalactic, you know, demonstration of fortitude. You, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like. We, we don't get to see behind that curtain. All we know is what's in front of us, and we just kind of plot ahead. Eventually, eventually, we'll get to see behind the curtain, but we don't now. And yeah, particularly when it comes to matters of grief, it can be it can be devastating. Yeah. I mean, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna look at somebody who's grieving and be like, "Dude, just chill." Like seriously, what's the big deal? <laughs> it is a big right. deal. You it love that person. Yeah, you love that person, and you and you you thought that there would be more of them in your future, and now they're gone. Mm-hmm. And that that's painful. But so it go well when we get it wrong. Mm-hmm. My point is is that I, I've got a friend who's who who lost a child, which mm-hmm. I have not, and I cannot say that I know what that's like. I can honestly say I don't even think I can imagine what that's like. Yeah. But ninety nine point nine nine percent of all that I hear about is the child that's passed away, not the child that's actually alive. And I think. Ye- that's yeah. that would be hard if if I was the kid who was alive. I'm like, hey, don't forget, you actually have a living one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know mm-hmm. that that's a thing because it happened to my dad. He had a half brother. Long story. You'd have to read the book literally. But um, his his uh, half brother was uh, was killed, and his father only mourned the dead son. Mm. Ever. And it's not healthy. No. Well, it never it never pays off to dwell too much on the past. You know, I've always tried to remember. You know, we learn we learn from the past, but we have to live now, yeah. and we have to look to the future. You know, pay attention to what's right here, right now, in front of you, and um, don't don't put too much stock into what was because you can't get it back. You can't. Uh, it's really. It's not really benefiting you to dwell on it too much, you know. And when it comes to mourning, you have your time for mourning and you never forget. Right. Uh, But it's just, it's not going to be healthy to be constantly looking back and dwelling on that mourning because you still have to live. And I know that can be hard. I was listening to a a sermon by somebody else and they they made the analogy of life as, as driving in a car. And that the the front window of the car is huge. It gives you a perspective of everything that's out there that's, you know, that's in front of you. 
Um, and the rear view mirror is made small because that's how it should be. You shouldn't be paying attention to what's going on in the rear view mirror the whole time because you're going to miss what's going on in front of you. And the same thing with life is you need to continue to move forward. You know, you could look back occasionally to get your perspective on what, where you've been and where you're coming from, but you need to keep focused on what's ahead of you and, and, you know, moving forward with life in general. And, you know, I kind of looked at that and thought, you know, how many times do we get caught thinking, you know, life, if I could have changed something in the past uh, and it would totally make my future better and you miss the future that's going on right now. Yeah. 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 All right. The chapter talks. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say a lot of what um, a lot of what I got out of this week's reading was kind of like a. Well, in fact, the last several weeks reading for the Israelites is almost like a establishing a new nation. Like how you want it you know, start as you mean to go on kind of a thing like it's it's almost like a quality control. Like it's got these built in sort of quality controls. And there was this there's this quote from C.S. Lewis that I thought of several times as I was reading through it the last over the last few weeks um, it is just a few sentences. So I want to read it here really quick. And this is kind of the, mo- the modern day application of what the Israelites were struggling with coming out of slavery, coming out of Egypt, coming out of all of these years where they didn't have their own nation, where they were these visitors. Right um, now they have a chance to settle in, own it and do it. It's theirs. Do it from the ground up and do it right. So here's this is a C.S. Lewis quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So Mm. he keeps telling keeps telling the Israelites, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Focus on me. Right. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are we are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Mm. So he's trying to get the Israelites to think bigger, like step into my vision. I've got this stuff. You're supposed to be a beacon on a hill to the rest of the world. Come on up here and take your place. And this is what it means to do that. And the Israelites then, as we do now, are continually distracted. Oh, but this is this is easier. This is quicker. This gives me instant gratification. This, you know, and it, this is right in front of me. And this is tangible where God is intangible. And it's so easy to get distracted by the lower, smaller things. Anyway, I, th- I thought of that quote a number of times over the last three or four weeks reading through Israel's God trying to train them into being his nation. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, the chapter goes on and talks about some things that we've talked about quite a bit already. Clean and unclean meats, what's good and not good to eat. Uh, you know, the, the basically, if it has cloven hooves and chews cud, it's okay. If it's got fins and scales, it's okay. Uh, clean birds are okay, and you have to read through the list to know which birds aren't okay. Interesting, don't eat anything that dies naturally, but that's okay to give it to strangers. <laughs> that was uh, it's <laughs> odd. <laughs> it's a, you know, you don't eat it, but it's okay if you give it to if you give it to a stranger or a foreigner. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm not eating anything I find just laying dead on the ground. So um, <clears throat> not gonna do that. Um, tithing principles, we've already talked about that. You tithe from your increase. That's that's some important thing to to 
thing <laughs> to point out here. Meaning yes. from your profits, so it's not, you know, you're not constantly de- de- depleting what you have. It's like from your from your profits. That's what you tithe from. You tithe from what what you get extra. Uh, yeah, and now I just I just want to say what that means in case a listener is like, well, I don't know what that means. I had a yeah, pastor thanks. once tell me, he's like, well, you just tithe on all the money that you that you take in, not necessarily on your net. Do you want God to bless your net or your gross? I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I made, um, let's just use a super easy number, hypothetical, it's not a real one, $100,000 is what my business, because I ran a business, took in. My expenses were 98000 I don't even have 10000 to pay tithe. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that, because this person had never run a business, he kind of looked at me like, oh, oh, that's a, like, that's a thing? Like, yeah, if you just work a W-2 job, the money that you get is the money that you get. If yep. you're running a business, it's totally possible that you have a 5% margin. Mm-hmm. So God is saying here, hey, as the place that I will increase to you, which is means you, you've paid your bills and, you know, then I will. And this is this, this goes to, to Deuteronomy a lot is that he says, I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I'll bless you. So that's not a problem. Right. And mm-hmm. that year that I didn't actually have a ton of uh, increase, we had enough. You know, but to Matt's point, it was paid on the increase, which I will say from experience, tithing doesn't, tithing will not put you in the poorhouse. Tithing will not set you backwards. Tithing will not lead to your financial hardship. Quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll share a little story here. When we had our second child, I was the one doing the books at the time. My wife does them now because for a while I was working out of town and I just wasn't able to keep up with it. And she took over and never gave it back. But um, <laughs> she, <laughs> but um, we started having it. We had our second child, which of course incurs more expenses. And I, I foolishly and mistakenly went, man, I can't afford to tithe. We can't afford to do it. And I stopped doing it. And, um, it wasn't too long after that I got laid off from my job. Now, I'm not talking about – I'm not saying that it was a, a direct result, but um, I'm also not not saying that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 I firmly believe that had I continued to tithe, that my financial aspects probably would not have gone the way they did. Um, there was really no reason for me to, to – worry so much about that 10% and I I look back and man it's like man I shouldn't I should have never done that and as soon as we started tithing again things were fine we realized that it's 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 fine it's not hard to do and it would not have put me in the poorhouse to to tithe and I really I really wish I had keeps keeped <laughs> there's grammar for you kids kept. <laughs> I really wish I had kept doing it because it, it really had, was a blessing and it's it is a blessing to give to, to support the things that are important to you, and um, having that opportunity to do that. Hundred percent. I can honestly say I can't think of a thing that we've read here where God said, "Hey, don't do this. Do this." Where, okay, full disclosure, I have done things that God said, "Don't do that," and I can't think of a single time in my life where I have done that and look back in retrospect and say, "You know, it worked out pretty awesome that I." totally disregarded God's advice. That mm-hmm. was that was a good thing. Yeah. I just don't 
I, there's no other advice that I've ever gotten that that is quite that has a track record like that. Mm-hmm. Where God says, "Hey, do this, and I'll bless you. Don't do that, or it'll go bad for you." Now, these things are not always instantaneous, not always a direct line. But I can say from my experience, doing it God's way is it's better. Mm-hmm. You know, it talks about taking your tithes to the place that God determines for it, and. At this point, they hadn't established Jerusalem yet, but we know eventually that's where the temple would be, and that was where they were expected to take their tithes and offerings. But it's interesting here because it says if you're too far away, you can sell those things that would have been tithed. Then you travel to Jerusalem. There you can buy like a replacement for it, and then that would become your tithe. So it... I really love here that God is not making it difficult on the people, other than they have to they have to go somewhere. But we've talked a lot about how how it was it's expected that at times you have to do things you you have to have an active part in it, in this stuff. But then every third year your tithes would be shared with the Levites, and so that goes back to that question I was having about you know what actually happens to the tithes. But um, it would seem that a portion of it specifically would go into the offering and then you would have a part in it. But then every third year, make sure that you are sharing that with the Levites so that they get a piece of that too because they don't have their own inheritance. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 goes into talking about that jubilee. It doesn't, at least my version, didn't specifically say jubilee, but it's talking no. about how, how the debts get canceled every seven years. And... Um, and this only applied to the Israelites, not to foreigners. You, you were not expected to cancel debts towards foreigners, but any Israelites, any of their brethren, any of their, um, you know, uh, any of the Israelites, you were expected to cancel any debts towards them every seven years. And it said, God will bless only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord. So I'm laughing because... To, then I'm sure, like today, we're like we'll take the blessing, but not the obedience. Yeah. <laughs> Verse four, I thought here was really interesting, though, because you were supposed to you were cancel the debts, and I I think I read this correctly. Cancel the debts every seven years, except for when there are no more poor. That was verse four. Did I did I read that right? Cancel the debts unless there's no more poor. There's a caveat to that, though, because later on it says you're always going to have the poor. <laughs> yeah. I saw that, too. Yeah. So it's like, you go, okay, so just keep canceling debts until everybody is prosperous and there's nobody poor. But, oh, by the way, you're always going to have poor yeah. people. Among so them. don't worry about that. Yeah. Because so I don't know worry. that they ever did it. I did, a, I did some research on this before when we were covering uh, Jubilee and so on. The Jews kept strict track of which year it was supposed to be, but there's not as much evidence that they really did it this way. Yeah. At least not as a nation. There probably were some that did, and there are still some, still some that do, that leave, you know, that don't harvest on this. There are some who, who still do, mm. but as a nation, they didn't, and I think that's why Jesus said, even later, he's like, you're always going to have the poor. You won't always yeah. have me, but you will have the poor. Yeah. Yeah, and they're reminded... Do this no matter what time in the cycle you are. If you are six years and five days away from Jubilee, you are still expected to help the poor. You know, don't, don't, yeah. don't, uh, yeah, let's wait till next week. No, there was none of that. It's like if you, if somebody needs something, then you help them, you help them now, 
and and then you don't worry about it. You just let it go. Period. Uh, that that could be that could be a that could be a test. Um, I know I know it could be a test for me, but I guess if every if everybody was doing it though, it'd be fine. It'd be fine because even if you ended up, nobody would end up in the poorhouse if that was the case. You know. But uh, well, there's all these there's all these texts about you know give generously, do it without a grudging heart, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Be open handed with them. You know, there's all this stuff about how you're supposed to care for the poor. And then in the New Testament, it addresses it again at one point. I think it's in 2 Corinthians. It says something like, um, arrange your finances in such a way that you can do God's work, basically, is the Karen mm-hmm. paraphrase of that. And, mm-hmm. and so, like, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to plan your life so that you can do these things. Yeah. Well, who um, – oh, shoot, I'm losing I'm, – I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, the financial guy. Ramsey? Dave Ramsey. Yeah, Dave Ramsey. Thank you. <laughs> How does he put that? He's like, um, oh, I'm going to blow, I'm going to botch it, but he's basically, it's kind of like you said, it's like if, if you, uh, he's got a specific phrase he says, but it, it's if you, if you, if you, it's like if you plan now, you'll be able to serve better later, you yeah. know? And I love the way he puts it, but I can't remember how it goes right now. And it's, it's really good advice. That if you if you if you center your life around serving God, even your finances, so that you plan on being able to serve and help with your finances, um, it's 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 a wise way to live. It's a good way to go. Uh, you know, at this, and what what caught my eye is in fifteen, twelve, twelve through about fourteen, fifteen. Is that I always think of people when they loan people other like money, especially, and mm-hmm. it's it almost was to the point of saying, you know, when they pay you back, don't take all the money out of their wallet and leave nothing. Mm-hmm. Always let them leave with something, you know. Yeah. And I sometimes we forget that it's like we we look so much forward to the them repaying the debt or you're getting all the money that you loan them and recouping it back. But don't leave them broke. It's like these right. people, here it says, you know, these people work for you for seven years. Don't let them leave empty handed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about that is, you know, when we do that, it's it's easy for the other person to leave with a grudge, you know, or that re- relationship ruined. But, you know, if we were to do it once again in love, you know, do you send them away with something and, you know, almost like a thank you for for re, trying to repay it or repaying it, mm-hmm. you know, your time, your effort, you know, just don't let them walk away basically worse than you, you know, or the same when you found them and they were in need. Don't leave them again in need. Right. And, uh, if you had had a servant and we're talking, I mean, let's just put the word in their slave. If you had had a slave, a Hebrew slave and you were sending them on their way after their, after their time of service. Yeah. You were supposed to, you're supposed to compensate them something so that they can go on. But it was interesting, too, it, it, and it tells me that the way that the slaves had to have been re- treated should have been at least with with some um, compassion and respect for them because there was an option. If a slave decided to stay, then you could pierce their ear, and, and it would be a sign that they were going to stay with you. But there was their choice. And so for somebody to choose to stay 
as a servant to somebody tells me that things must have gone pretty well and and um, well enough that somebody might choose to, to remain a quote-unquote slave here. So obviously, you know, just treat people with respect. No matter, no matter their position in relation to you, treat them with respect. Treat them... Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Treat them so that you're not just taking everything from them so that you have all the good times. Uh, everybody should get some of the good times. And it ends talking about firstborn animals. We've talked about this quite a bit, but uh, firstborn, the firstborn males of animals from herds and flocks were to be dedicated to God. Yeah, again, you and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. So there again, the family getting some of that. But if there was any defect in that animal, then that animal, it was like that animal was exempt then from being uh, dedicated. You could still eat it. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be a sacrifice. It wasn't meant to be uh, an offering. That's because it it's pointing forward to the, the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go back to there, how you select. You, you don't give your lame one. You don't give your leftover stuff to God. Right. Yeah. But even if it was a firstborn, if it was born with a defect, then then um, that was not supposed to be to get dedicated. I guess that would be the the exception to that rule. And it ends up with the, with the reminder, don't eat the blood. The, the blood is the life. The blood is, well, of course, blood is very symbolic to us now. But the blood is life, and, well, besides the fact it's just not a healthy thing to eat it. But, um, but yeah, so those little reminders at the, at the end of our reading today of, um, you know, sanctifying things and uh, dedicating things to God. I think that wraps it up for this week's reading. Keep in mind that you can contact us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. We would love to hear from you, especially from, hey, Sri Lanka. <laughs> send, us, send us an email. I've never got an email from Sri Lanka. It'd send us a recipe. I want to oh, make some hey, Sri Lanka food. There you go. Aaron's a pretty good cook, so if you send a recipe, I will make sure Karen makes it, and then I will eat some of it. How's that sound? <laughs> Not a deal? <laughs> So email us at attbpodcast at theadventureorg dot org. Don't forget the dot. It doesn't work without the dot. Uh, look for us on Facebook, Adventure Through the Bible. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and be sure to subscribe so that you get us in your feed each and every week. We look for uh, next week. We will continue the next five chapters where we at uh, so seventeen through uh, sixteen through twenty, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Music.